0: From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. God is good all the time. time. What do we owe our parents? I saw this week a story of a young couple who had just purchased brand new appliances and then they moved into a new home that had brand new appliances, and so they decided to give their, uh, their appliances, especially their uh, new refrigerator, to their parents, and uh, they shipped it over to their parents who live some distance away. A few days later, the phone rang, and uh, her mom was on the phone and said, we want to send you a check for the new refrigerator, and she said, no mom, it's a gift, we want you to have it. And the mom said, but you could have sold it and made money on that. And she said, I know. Just look, mom, just consider it a repayment for all those days that you took care of me when I was at home. After a little pause, her mom said, it's not going to cover it. (laughs) It's just not enough. They don't make refrigerators that good. Well, after four weeks of working on our marriages, we come today to the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. and that is parenting, it turns out preaching is a lot easier than parenting, and parenting is challenging. And so I come today, and I'm sincere when I say this, not with feigned, but with genuine humility. Before we talk about parental responsibilities next week, I thought we ought to consider filial responsibilities or the responsibility of kids to parents. And you might think I could cover this in a children's sermon, that we could just gather the children and gather them around, and I could say to them, obey and honor your parents, and that would be that. Except I'd have to bring all of us up, wouldn't I? Because we're all children of some parents, somewhere. And as we read this passage of Scripture, I wondered, when does our responsibility to our parents end? For instance, is there a point in our lives when we don't have to obey our parents anymore? Is there a point in our lives when we stop honoring our parents? I have a friend who's an outstanding caregiver and counselor, and we were talking about a A meeting and she said uh, I don't she's like I don't really know how old she is she's like either in her late 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s I'm not even sure I mean I'm really not and you'll value my wisdom when I say I'm never going to ask her how old she is however in our in our conversation I, I asked her about a particular weekend and she said yeah I'm still working on my family relationships so I'm going to visit my parents that weekend I would have expected her to say, I'm going to visit my kids. But she said, no, I'm going to visit my parents. And I was just reminded that our responsibilities to our parents never really end in this lifetime as long as my parents are alive. And even after um, death, I have to work on my relationship with them. And I'll tell you why. Because the way I relate to my parents will have a lot to do with my own health. And it will serve as a pattern for the way that my kids relate to me. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. I'm going to preach 1 through 3. And then next week, verse 4. Sounds like a short sermon, doesn't it? I don't know. We'll see. Let's stand together to hear the word of the Lord today. Ephesians 6 verse 1 The Apostle Paul writes, imagine a church in Ephesus reading these words out loud to the whole congregation, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. We need to recover responsibility in our culture. We are a big on liberty and not as big on responsibility. And responsibility in relationships is deeply rooted in the Scriptures. So, to understand God's design for marriage, we had to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. To the creation of the world to understand marriage. To understand parents and kids, Paul takes us all the way back to Exodus and the Ten Commandments. The fifth commandment, which by the way, most Christians will place in that second set. If we divide the Ten Commandments into the first four, we say, have to do with our relationship with God. The latter six have to do with our relationships with each other. It's interesting that Hebrew scholars do not divide them that way. They divide them five and five because they say the way we relate to our parents has everything to do with our relationship With God and what Paul says is we have um, principles by which we may respond to our parents and then there are these wonderful promises which accrue to those who actually adhere to these principles and as I teach it I'm just reminded I've been reading a, a couple of different books in the last few weeks called connecting with your children not to get ready for this sermon but to get ready for life. And in these two books, you'd think that one of them would have chosen a different title, but in these two books, um, the first book says essentially that there are three kinds of households in our culture. There are, for instance, he says, kid-centered homes. You ever seen a kid-centered home where the kid is the is the king or the queen and everything revolves, all the activity, all the emotions, all the thoughts revolve around that kid, that child's sporting events, that child's school events, that child's wants and the kid loves to be served and as I've said to you before, the parents love to serve so they've got a good deal. The kids, what do they say? Kids rule. The problem with that kind of home, if I may just put it out there, is that kids know that they're not supposed to rule. There's something within them that says, this is not right. This isn't the way parents aren't supposed to obey their kids. Kids are supposed to obey their parents. Parents are not told to honor their kids, but kids are told to honor their parents. Now, the the other side of that is the parent centered home, and you maybe have seen homes like that where the parents are forever talking to their teenagers about my house, and it's my way or the highway. You're going to do things the way I want you to. And it's, it's without, without question, the parents are the king and the queen of that house. And I would just say about that, that taken to its extreme, that kind of household builds resentment in the kids. And the kids even know about that, that that's not exactly right. That to honor your parents doesn't mean that they're to mistreat you or abuse you in any way. The third kind of home, I think... This is the best, is the Christ centered home. And in that home, the kids don't rule and the parents don't rule because Jesus rules. Because Jesus is the Lord and the center of the home, then the rest of us are able to find our places within the economy of God's plan for the family. And parents have a place, and kids have a place, and kids have responsibilities to parents, and parents have responsibilities to kids. And what this passage of Scripture teaches us, in fact, what the whole counsel of Scripture teaches us, is that if we will honor God by honoring our parents, God will honor us with life. Life that goes well. Life that lasts long. And I want to urge us today to honor our parents to honor them if they're alive to honor their memory if they are deceased but to honor our parents listen first to the principles that they're relatively simple just imagine this this is being read the first time the first time Ephesians was ever read we think it was a circular letter that it was probably read to a lot of churches it took on the form of scripture after Paul wrote it Inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they're reading this, and Paul is, is speaking to the church, and he says, He's speaking to the church, and he says, Children, obey your parents. What does that tell you about the early congregations? Where were the kids? Yeah, they were in the house. They were worshiping with their families. Our idea that families should worship together, yeah, that's not um, just for a convenience. That's the way it was, children were in the room. And he says, children, obey your parents. Now, no, nobody would take exception with that. I mean, that was part of, of the Ten Commandments. That was part of the Hebrew culture. In fact, most every culture you go to in the world, the um, kids are supposed to obey their parents. But especially in the culture to which Paul wrote Ephesus, um, in the ancient Roman world, Under Roman rule, the Roman father had patria potestas, that is, the father's power, which meant he had the right to give his kids life and he had the right to give them death. Sort of that Bill Cosby thing, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. Now, how many of you had Roman fathers? My my dad grew up in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri. I I don't think he ever took a word of, of Latin in his life I'm not sure he knows, if you said what's patria potestas, I'm not sure he would know, but he lived by that rule. He had absolute power over our lives, and we knew that. He said, if you do that, I'm going to kill you. And he would just sort of logically explain it to us, because if you do that, you're going to end up in jail. And if you end up in jail, that's going to be worse than death, so I'm just going to save you that pain. You'd rather me kill you than somebody else kill you. And, you know, I mean, he he was not abusive, he was not unkind, he was not mean. But somehow we believed that, that imprinted emotionally on our minds. And when we were tempted to do wrong, my three brothers and I had this sense of, one of my brothers called me the other day, he's an attorney here in Houston, he lives down inside the loop, he said, we could not talk to our kids the way that our dad talked to us. But he said, in the end, it was pretty effective, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, well, it really was. Patria potestas, a Roman father who grew up in the Ozark mountains of Missouri. But Paul says, children obey your parents and this is what I want you to see it's relational obedience it's your parents we have respect for all adults but we are we are required to obey our parents now he says this obedience um, this obedience is to your parents does that ever end well I mean my dad still calls me I'm, I'm almost 49 now and he calls me and says when did you change your oil last and I'll say well dad is it July because I mean I change it every July and he hates that answer and the truth is, he could call me right now and say, you go change your oil right now, and I don't have to do it. Now, I don't know if that's liberating or, or whatever, but he can no longer make me change the oil. He can't make me shovel a walk anymore, and I did a lot of that up in Montana. He can't make me do that. There comes a day when we don't have to obey our parents, but what I want you to see is the relational dimension of that is, these are your parents. They brought you into the world. They... They are the ones who are responsible for your birth. So you're to obey them and you're to do it in the Lord. So it's not just relational obedience. It's spiritual obedience. This has to do with in the Lord. You can't explain or understand the writings of the Apostle Paul without this phrase, in the Lord. Because Paul believed if you're a Christian, you live your life in the Lord. To be in Christ is to be a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're supposed to be in the Lord. And to be in the Lord... Is um, to be in the Lord is to follow these principles, and he goes on to say, "For this, this is right. This is the right way for us to live. This is, this is right. The word is really this is righteous. It's a righteous thing to obey your parents." Now, when we think about that, we, we may say, "Well, well, how does how does that work?" And I would just say, "You want you want to be right with your parents." Because the scriptures teach it, but because it, it's just, it's the right thing to do. I think about a couple of times in my years. One was a sort of Romeo and Juliet story where um, two, two parents, um, two sets of parents from a foreign country came to this country and they had a falling out. One was the pastor, one was a deacon, go figure. And they had this falling out and, they're, and they separated and then their kids grew up separately, never knowing each other and fell in love at the University of Houston and told their parents and their parents said, you can never marry that person and it was a very painful kind of thing. But I remember the day when there was a reconciliation between kids and parents. And we had a wedding ceremony here. And sometimes people will come to us and say, we want to get married. And we'll say, so how do your parents feel about this? We wish you hadn't asked that question, they say. And we say, you know what? You want your parents to be right with you on this subject. You, they have a right to come and enjoy that ceremony and be a part of that with you And I've even done wedding renewals for families that didn't get blessing first and came back and said, I want my dad to give me away. Let's do this again. Let's do this right. So on this side, I want to say there's a, there's a continuing obligation to care about what our parents think, which falls under this larger category, not just of obedience, but what I would call reverence, the second principle that we would honor our parents in the Lord and when we honor our parents, that word means to value them, to treasure them. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. It says after they leave the temple, after He instructs the teachers of His day, that He goes back. Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52. He goes back home with His parents and He submits to them. He's obedient to them. He honors them. And we are to do that. I had a prayer partner in Austin who would hold my feet to the fire and he would say to me when we prayed every Wednesday morning he would say so how are you doing with your dad? I'd say oh my dad now we're doing fine he'd say have you talked to him this week? no I haven't talked to him this week why haven't you talked to your dad this week? I've been busy I've been serving the Lord you know Jesus Jesus said when, when his mom and his brothers came up and he didn't have time for them my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of God he said I know Jesus and I know you you're not Jesus call your dad He said, this whole church loves your dad. Do you love your dad enough to call your dad? And I'm just going to confess to you this morning, because confession is good for the soul, that in my work for the Lord through the years, I have not always honored my parents by staying in touch with them the way that I should. And the problem with that in the second book called Connecting with Your Kids, Connecting with Your Children, the problem with that, Roberta Gilbert says, is that my kids may relate to me someday the same, same way that I relate to my parents. That is why I love this multi-generational congregation where just this morning I rode on the bus here from the, the parking garage with three generations of one family. Because when grandparents are inputting into life and just loving their kids and loving their grandkids and when when the parents of kids are loving their parents and their kids are watching that... All kinds of good things happen in families like that. When, when we love our parents, and so I'm reminded that I have, like my friend who didn't have time on that weekend because she said, I've got to go work on my own family and be with my parents. I've got to do that. It may mean, folks, I've got to make more plane trips to Colorado than I've made in recent years. Because I've got to be right with my dad. I've got to be right with my mom. Really to be right with Melanie, I've got to be right with them. And sometimes we have the privilege, as we do with Melanie's mom, of just honoring the, the memory of her faithfulness to God and, and staying in touch. We probably do a little better job of this with Papa, with her dad. And that connection is healthy. And we just we have to do that because it has everything to do. And you say, but what about in those in those situations where the parent really wasn't a healthy person themselves, they had all kinds of baggage. Let me just ask you something: If parents have to be perfect to be honored, now which one of us is going to be honored? But in fact, the reality is that I was reading in a, a, a little excerpt this week from Myra Langley, and she was talking about her mom, and her mom had lots of baggage and just passed that on to her. And, and she was just thinking through these kinds of issues and how she could not honor her mother. And the Lord just convicted her about that. And she went upstairs in the attic where she had put the picture of her mom and brought it downstairs. Her mom scowling at her from that picture, at least in her mind's eye. And she began just to confess to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me because I was so angry at her that I couldn't honor her. But I want to be right in this and she began to pray about it and just lay it before the Lord and ask God for grace and God gave her grace and there came a point, she said, where she felt at deeper peace with her mother and when she looked at that picture she no longer saw the scowl but really her mother looking at her with love. And here's what she said, I came to the place that I was able not to honor everything that my mother had done but I was able to see her as God intended for her to be and to honor the very best of mom, while not blessing the worst of mom. And she said, for me, that brought deep peace. I only wish, she said, I had had that conversation before she died. And my word to you this week, my challenge to you is, not only obedience, but reverence, that we would honor. And here's the thing, I don't have to, ob- I don't, I don't have to change my will if dad says so anymore. <laughs> But I always have to honor Him. I always have to honor Him. And you believe me when I say, I want my kids to honor me. And there comes a a moment in our lives when obedience is no longer required, but honor is always required. Now let me show you the promises just briefly and just point out to you that He says, this is what God will give to those who honor their parents. He will give them life. He says that it may go well with you. Now the parallel passage is in Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 and Paul says a little bit differently. He says obey your parents in everything and then he says that not just it will go well with you but he says this is well pleasing to the Lord. The common word is well and what I want you to see it's a little word in Greek it's just two letters eu. Some say oi. It will be well and here's what I want to say to you. We have this sneaking suspicion that if we did what God wanted us to do, what was pleasing to the Lord, it might not feel good to us. And I just want to correct that misconception this morning. What I want to say to you is, what Paul is saying is, What is well-pleasing to the Lord will make things go well with you. If it's well with God, it will be well with you. And you want it to be well with your soul, then be right with God by honoring your parents. Because when you do that, God says, it's going to go well for you. Two examples of that. The one, there are many examples in Scripture of people who dishonored their parents. Samson, by um, being unkind to his parents and demanding that they get him a certain wife and And Esau, who married the Canaanite women, married outside the faith, we would say. And that brought great dishonor and pain to his parents. But there are other examples of of Jacob. Um, There's the example of Esther, who honors uh, her relative Mordecai when he asks her to take a stand for her people and for God. But maybe the best example is Joseph in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Remember, his brothers have mistreated him on this roller coaster. They throw him in the pit they pull him out then they sell him into slavery he gets over into Egypt and he rises to the top and then they need his help but they don't even know it's him remember this story and they come and he helps them moves the whole family to Goshen and then dad passes away and the brothers say dad is dead Joseph is prime minister therefore we are dead (laughs) he's going to pay us back for what we did and remember what Joseph this is Genesis this is 50 20 vision Joseph says I know you meant it for evil. Maybe you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. God brought good out of it. Now here's New Testament, Romans eight twenty eight. God is working all things together for good. For whom? For those who love God. Is that you? Who are called according to his purpose. Here's what I want you to see. The good that God wants to do in our lives. You say, oh man, what does this mean? If I honor my parents, I'll be rich and famous. And that's not exactly what he's saying. What he's saying is that in terms of you being called according to God's purpose... To honor your parents is going to further that in ways that really matter. That God's goodness, His ultimate plan of His kingdom. I heard David Platt say this week, God's plan for all of our lives is to advance the gospel. I would say to glorify God by advancing the gospel. And I can't advance the gospel. I lose credibility as a preacher of the gospel if I'm not rightly relating to my parents. In fact, we have this understanding D.L. Moody put it in a more negative light he said I am over 60 years old and I've never seen a person who dishonored their parents prosper I've never seen it and my word to you is that God's word is true this is the promise it will be well with you and then he says you will live long in the land now what does this mean well does that mean if I honor my parents, I'll live to, to be 95? Look, I'm looking at 49 and thinking, man, I don't know if I want to be 95, but I'm just saying that I don't know. I don't get a choice in that, but I'm just saying. And the, the point is not that, for instance, if a person has a premature death that somehow they didn't honor, God forbid that we would think that they didn't honor their parents. Some of the most godly people we know uh, their lives are, in our minds, cut short. That, that's not the point. But listen to this. If I'm honoring my parents who are honoring the Lord, and I'm honoring the Lord by honoring them, then am I going to get involved in excessive alcohol use? Am I going to get involved in drugs? Am I going to become involved in violence or gangs? Because all those things potentially shorten my life. But when I begin to honor God, then then I'm honoring my parents and in honoring them, this extends my life. And he says, I love this expression, you will enjoy long life. Enjoy that God will put in us his joy. And again, Jesus did this better than anybody else. And what happens when he is is submissive to his parents and goes home with them? It says his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And I wondered what I could do this week. That my mom would treasure. I wonder what I could do this week. I had the chance. Uh, not long ago my dad was with us in worship. He lives so far away. It's hard for us ever to really go to church with him. And he came down. He was down for a nephew's wedding or one of my nephews, his grandson's wedding, and he, he came and he likes to sit on the back row and he doesn't like to sing and he doesn't want to read out, you know, read out the scriptures or the responsive readings and so he had made a covenant with his wife that he wasn't going to do that and then he, he comes in the back door and Melanie and Casey are sitting up here and they wave him to the front, you know, and he's like, mm-hmm, and they're like, yeah. And I look down during the service and he's holding the hymnal singing with Casey and I'm telling you, that was just redemptive for me. That was just healing for me, cathartic, really, therapeutic. To see the generations of God's people worshiping together is, is good. It is, it is inestimably good. And, and look, Jesus is our example. So we're most like him when we're doing that. Francis Chan tells about, about a, a series of events in his church in Napa Valley, California. Where um, they had a number of speakers not unlike uh, Abby Tracy who came and spoke to us today. And, and these speakers came, and one young man who was a missionary to Africa told the whole story. And then he said, I guess I owe all this to my youth minister, Vaughn, because Vaughn got me into this and, and, and heard my, my desire and, and helped me with my calling to follow Christ as a missionary. And the next week, they had another young person who came in from some other place, and, and he was talking about feeding the poor, and he said... And I guess I should say my youth minister, Vaughn, got me into this. And Francis Chan thought, that's ironic. I didn't even know these two guys knew each other. And here they are talking about Vaughn. And so he was, he was walking with a friend of his named Dan. And he said, Dan, you know what's amazing is we had these two different speakers, unrelated. And they come and they say, my youth minister, Vaughn, got me into this. And his friend, Dan, looks at Francis and says, oh, I know Vaughn yeah um, um, Vaughn is a pastor in San Diego and he goes down into Tijuana and he cares for the kids who live in the garbage dump there and they all know him by name and they love him and he hugs them and he gives them food and water and he cares for them and yeah Vaughn is an amazing guy He said I'll tell you what it was almost eerie when I was walking with him through that garbage dump and watching those kids come up and love him I thought this Francis if Jesus were here this would be what it would be like to be walking with Jesus walking with Vaughn is like walking with Jesus because the way he loves people and and cares for them and Francis Chan said he was cut to the quick by that statement and he thought what do I really want for my life do I do, do I do I want to be the best speaker in the world well that, no I don't really need to be and by the way Francis Chan's an amazing speaker he said do I want to be the most intelligent person in the room whenever I'm in the room well you know he's pretty smart but he said I just decided, I wondered if anybody would say when they spent time with me that it would be like spending time with Jesus. No wonder Jesus' mother treasured these things in her heart. And Jesus is our example, but let me tell you, it's better than that because every one of us in this room has disobeyed parents. Every one of us in this room has dishonored parents. The good news is Jesus is not just our example. Jesus is our Savior. And as our Savior, He forgives us for the times that we have failed in this. And by His Holy Spirit, He empowers us today to change and to begin to do what He has called us to do. To obey and to honor so that we may live well and long. And who here doesn't want to live like that? Of course we do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing love and grace and mercy. We are, we are um, Lord, we are enveloped in your grace today. We're surrounded by your mercy. If we go to the depths of the sea, we can't evade you. If we go to the top of Everest, we could never escape you, Lord. You are here and you pursue us like the hound of heaven. O love that will not let us go, God, heal our relationships with our families, Lord, through the generations. Help us to do this hard work so that we may be right with you, Lord, by your grace and right with the generations that follow. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.